Welcome to the Sword of the Spirit podcast with Brother Joe Rusiello. Take your Bible, sit back, and join us as we open and study the Word of God. For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Now, here's your host. Hey folks, good afternoon and welcome to the Sword of the Spirit podcast. Uh, this is Brother Joe Rusiello, and I have the distinct pleasure of being your host and your Bible teacher for about the next hour as we open up the Word of God on this very, very special uh, broadcast uh, honoring Mother's Day. Um, I know we all have mothers, at least we should all have mothers. Uh, if, you, if you didn't have a mother, um, why don't you shoot me an email and let's talk about that because that's very interesting. You can email me at info at sort of the spirit podcast.com. Yes, that's a new email address for us. And I'll tell you about that in just a few. Um, so we do have a few things that have changed uh, over the last week. Um, things are constantly in flux around here. We're, we're moving and shaking. Uh, so we have a new website, uh, the sword of the spirit podcast.com that's sword of the spirit podcast.com uh if you're using the ephesians 516.org that's fine uh it is currently redirecting to sword of the spirit podcast.com um same layout as the ephesians 516 but um just a different domain and new email addresses as well so if you want to reach us you could go to the website there's a contact form on the third page of the website uh, you could also reach us by emailing me directly at info at sword of the spirit podcast.com. I forgot it there for a second. Uh, uh, so that's something new. Uh, something else new for us too, is that we have hit the big time. We are now, uh, uh, broadcasting on Apple podcasts, right? That's exciting. We'll see how long it takes before they, they censor us and shut us down. But um, we are very happy to be there and, and to be able to have the privilege of, uh, of, of posting our, our podcast there. So if you, uh, if you use Apple, you can find us there as well. Um, uh, another thing that we've been thinking about, too, has been um, the possibility of doing live broadcasts. Now, that'll be different. I mean, uh, I've done live broadcasts before in other types of uh, radio Um used to do internet radio, secular radio, talking politics and local news and events and whatnot. And that's always, always a lot of fun. Uh, but I'm not quite set up for that, uh, at least not yet. So uh, just uh, keep that in prayer and um, and see how the Lord moves in that one. And, and speaking of prayer, of course, you know, why don't you just keep this ministry in prayer altogether and all around? Um, there's a lot that we can do. There's a lot that I'd like to do. And uh, but I can't do any of it without the Lord's help. So if you could just uh, remember us in prayer as we go forward in doing that. So what we're going to do now is um, we're going to take a short break, very short break. And while we're on that break, why don't you go grab yourselves a, your King James Bible, uh, grab yourself a cup of coffee or a bottle of water, sit back, and we'll begin our very special Mother's Day message right after this. Yes, to God that the road ahead was long 
But I didn't know it would be this hard That I'd lose my joyful song Now I'm hanging on to his promises That he'll never leave me alone The angel said that I should not fear As he left us on our own How much do I dare to give? How much is it fair to give? Will God show his care by coming down to where I live? Has God ever failed to save? Wait for him and just be brave. God won't ever ask for more than you. Our song in heaven soared But now you're seeing all the price That it costs to serve the Lord But keep hanging on to his promises That he'll never leave you alone You are God's favored chosen one You are never on your own Coming down to where you live God has never failed to save I'll wait for him and just be brave God won't ever ask for more than I can give Hey folks, welcome back to the Sword of the Spirit podcast. This is again Brother Joe Rusiello, and I uh, hope you took that time uh, away to go grab yourselves your King James Bible. We are King James Bible believers here, and uh, that's the only Bible that I would use. It's the only Bible that I would recommend you use. Why? Because it is the inspired, preserved Word of God for us today in the English language. So uh, hopefully you went out and you uh, you grabbed one and you're sitting down. Hopefully you have your cup of coffee. And what I'd like you to do is take your Bible and turn over to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. And our text will be beginning in verse number 21. So Matthew chapter 15 and verse 21 on this very special Mother's Day Bible study. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coasts and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, 
It is not meet to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. And Jesus departed thence and came nigh unto the sea of Galilee and went up into a mountain and sat down there. Let's pray. Our Father, as we acknowledge that today is a day in which we'd like to give considerable and due respect to mothers, we understand that this is something clearly ordained in the Bible as far as appreciating mothers. Motherhood is something that you ordained, something that you instituted. The concept of the family, traditional as we know it in the Bible, is something you instituted. Lord, good mothers are a commodity that need to be cherished. Thank you for the insight that you give us about motherhood from the Bible. Help us to gain a deeper appreciation for what a good mother is this day. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, amen. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome once again for those of you just tuning in to the Sword of the Spirit podcast. Uh, we are looking at Matthew chapter 15, and uh, we just read uh, down a few verses, beginning in verse 21. And, um, you know, the Bible uh, didn't come up with the idea of Mother's Day. You know, somebody else did that. Uh, we designate a certain day of the year to be called Mother's Day. But, you know, the Bible, uh, the Bible didn't come up with Mother's Day. But what the Bible did come up with was motherhood. Motherhood. That's a concept, an idea from God. You know, uh, this text came to me... Uh, you know, weeks before I knew I was going to be speaking about this on Mother's Day. And, you know, I've heard preaching from this story, but, you know, not from a Mother's Day perspective. Um, but it occurred to me that this Canaanite woman is really an exceptional, exceptional mother. She really is. And I'd like to show you why today. I, th I think she's one that, uh, that could be emulated in a variety of ways. Now, doctrinally, and we're not going to labor there. We're going to labor more in the practical today. But for those of you that love a little doctrine, the doctrinal picture here is that Jesus leaves the nation of Israel. You see, in the first 20 verses of the chapter, he's dealing with Israel. Then he, he leaves and he goes up to Tyre and Sidon, up the Phoenician coast. Um, you know, modern-day Lebanon is where that is. Uh, this is a land of pagans and idolatry and heathenism. Uh, he goes up there to reach just one woman. And that's all that's recorded. He has a conversation with one woman and he immediately leaves and goes back to Israel and he climbs a mountain and he sits down. Now, if you know anything about your Bible, that's relevant. He leaves Israel. He reaches one woman. That's the Gentile church. He climbs a mountain. That's the Mount Zion in the sides of the north. Then he sits down to make intercession. He sits down at the right hand of the Father and he makes intercession for us. So doctrinally, doctrinally, the, the pictures of the church age and Jesus being our intercessor. Now, one day he's going to come down off that mountain and resume his program with Israel. Right now, that's Bible prophecy. And I, I really I find it all fascinating. Uh, but today we're going to look at the woman in the hour of her great dilemma. And we're going to look at it from a more uh, more practical standpoint. And that is motherhood. So the first thing that I observe in our text is that Jesus went out of his way to benefit one woman, just one woman. So immediately after this incident, 
he went back to Galilee. Now, although she represents the entire Gentile race, she's but one lonely woman with a very, very large problem. And the problem is that her daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. And Jesus had a heartbeat for that. You know, it occurred to me often that um, the Holy Spirit would impress a message on a preacher's heart for just one person. Did you ever stop to think about it in that respect? Now, think about this. The disciples were with him. The disciples weren't in the happiest of moods. Well, how do you know that? Well, they said, Lord, send this woman away. They weren't too excited about being in Tyre and Sidon. But did it ever occur to you that sometimes when you go to church or when you uh, turn on a podcast like this one or if you or any other one for that matter, um, that sometimes the message really isn't directed at you? Now, some folks will say, well, you know, I just didn't get anything out of that. Well, that's exactly what the disciples were doing that day. Did it ever occur to you that the message may be tailored for one lonely woman somewhere? Just one person? And do you know what a good disciple says? Well, a good disciple says, well, I'm not sure what I'm getting out of it, but bless God, I hope somebody is getting something out of it. I'll pray for them. And if you'll pray for somebody else, you'll get something out of it. You know, I'm reminded that oftentimes God designates his servants to go reach one person. Well, for example, uh, Peter went and was sent to the house of Cornelius, wasn't he? Philip was sent down to the Gaza Strip in the desert to reach one Ethiopian eunuch. Now, this is the land where, where he went of Jezebel and heathen practices that many times in the Bible had angered God severely. Of all the places that had a big X marked on them on God's map, it would have been Tyre and Sidon. And if you study the book of Ezekiel, and we don't have time to go back there and, and do this right now, but if you, if you study the book of Ezekiel, Tyre and Sidon were both cursed a variety of times in that book. Both cities end up on the Phoenician coast, uh, um, both cities up on the Phoenician, Phoenician coast incur the wrath of Almighty God. And the message is delivered through the prophet Ezekiel. You know, it's quite fascinating when you think about it. Hundreds of years before it happened, God said about Tyre, he goes, you know what you're going to be like someday? He said that someday you're going to be just a place for the spreading of fishermen's nets. Well, years later, a fellow by the name of Nebuchadnezzar came down and destroyed Tyre. And there the, lub, the rubble lay in utter, in utter destruction. People said, yeah, well, so what? Right? So what? Uh, how does that apply to, to a place for the spreading of fishermen's nets? Well, when Nebuchadnezzar came down and destroyed that city, the affluent of the city escaped. And they went to a little island about three quarters of a mile offshore. And there, over the next several centuries, they built a fortress city that became uh, a place of great commerce, of great activity and prosperity. Well, then a couple of centuries later, another fellow came down, and you may have heard of him. His name was Alexander the Great. And Alexander saw that prosperity out there, and, and, then, and what did he do? Well, he coveted that prosperity. He said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go out there, and, and here's how we're going to do it. We're going to, we're going to pick up all the rubble, all the rocks left in the wake of the destruction of Tyre by Nebuchadnezzar centuries before. And then I want you guys to start packing that stuff out there and dumping it into the Mediterranean Sea. 
And so they did. They built a causeway out to that island and destroyed that city and took, out, took all of the plunder away with them all the way back to Greece. And to this day, to this very day, as we speak, that little jutting peninsula in the Mediterranean Sea is a place where fishermen spread their nets to dry. Exactly like Ezekiel said. Now, not, all, not, not exactly the same prophecy was uttered against Sidon, though. Sidon was a city, uh, and, and it's a city that's still in existence to this day. But what God did say was that it would be a place of continual warfare and combat and destruction. In 1847, the city of Sidon was bombarded by the naval forces of four different nations all in one year. And then in 1983, the Israelis invaded it, and, then, and that repetitive process has been over and over and over again throughout history. Well, why? Well, because Tyre and Sidon harbored a group of people that exercised such animosity against Israel that they sent raiding parties into northern Israel, captured their women, captured their children, sold them to the Greeks for slavery. And God said, you'll suffer a curse because of that. And in spite of the curse, in spite of their wretched activity, in spite of their tremendous animosity towards Israel, Jesus knew, Jesus knew there was one lonely woman and she needed a personal visit from Jesus himself. So he went to Tyre and Sidon. And I read in verse 22, and behold, a woman of Canaan. So these are Canaanitish women. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coasts. So in other words, the Holy Spirit makes us well understand that this is a woman from Tyre and Sidon. She's a Canaanitish woman. And she develops, she envelops everything that God has cursed there. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me. So this is kind of a, a, a different approach to, to that of contemporary America, wouldn't you say? She said, Lord, have mercy on me, this Canaanitish woman. You know what the more uh, contemporary approach is? Well, I've got this badly behaving daughter. I don't deserve this. You know, Madison Avenue and all the psychological tripe that we expose ourselves to have convinced us that we deserve a break, right? We deserve better. We deserve we deserve, you deserve, I deserve, I deserve to drive a Mercedes-Benz, right? You deserve more money in the bank. You deserve prime rib instead of tacos. We deserve, I deserve. You know, that's kind of become the mantra of American thinking. We deserve. This woman may have at one time embraced that very thought life, but somehow... Somehow she kind of, she leapfrogged beyond that. She's not suggesting to the Lord that, that she deserved anything, but rather she's appealing to his merciful side. She said, please, Lord, could you have mercy on me? Now I want to, I want you to keep your finger here in, in the text and turn with me to the book of Titus chapter three, Titus chapter three. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 says this. 
not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. No wonder the Bible flies in the face of so many modern thinkers. No wonder. God has the unmitigated gall to suggest that you and I do not deserve anything except judgment and the consequences of our sin. But if we appeal to his mercy, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Man, this woman had the right handle. She may have been a pagan, but she understood more about good theology than a lot of so-called theologians today. Lord, I appeal to your mercy. That's what I need. That's what I want. Because mankind today has such a tendency to be so impressed with himself, mercy is largely forgotten. Wouldn't you agree? And now it's not all. In the text, I noticed that she says this, that she cried unto him saying, have mercy on me. All right, she cried. She cried. She had gotten beyond bitterness. She had gotten beyond resentment. Uh, there may have been some initially, I would think. I mean, who hasn't experienced that at, that has suffered through the affliction of a child? Whether it's psychological or physiological or otherwise, a child is afflicted. And who cannot but help have a time of bitterness and resentment and difficulty? Perhaps this woman had dealt with that as well. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure she had. I would suppose she did. But she realized somewhere along that road that this really hadn't advanced her cause at all. That hadn't, that hadn't helped her or anyone else. Resentment doesn't seek help. It only smolders like, like a fire that's increasingly difficult to extinguish. That's what resentment does. And when you finally get beyond that that arena of self-pity, then, and only then, you're in a position where you can legitimately say, Lord, have mercy on me. She was looking for mercy. Looking for mercy. Thirdly, thirdly here, I'm just getting warmed up, all right? But thirdly, if you're taking notes, point one, Jesus went out of his way to benefit one woman. Point two, she understood mercy. And point three, she understood something about the lordship of Jesus Christ. Well, brother, how do you know that? Well, look how she addressed him. Look how she addressed him. She said, have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. Which is really quite remarkable, that statement. Well, why? Well, number one, she had to get out of the box of her pagan religion. You know, the Bible very carefully tells us that she was from the coast of Tyre and Sidon and that she was a Canaanitish woman. She was not a misplaced Jew. Her ethnic background, her heritage, her pedigree, everything about her suggests paganism. But somewhere along the way, clearly she had a witness about the capability of Jesus Christ. She had taken the time to listen to a faithful witness or testimony. I mean, you know, thank God for good witnesses, you know, really think about it. Thank God for folks who'll speak up for Jesus Christ. And, 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 and you know what? Somewhere along the way of life, she had to admit that her lifeless gods were incapable of solving the problem. 
She had to to uh, she had to, to to depart from tradition. She opened herself up for an onslaught of criticism and ridicule. I mean, don't you know that there were those that were that were close to her, family, close friends, associates, that said, "What are you doing going to that that Galilean Jewish evangelist?" That I that um that itinerant cultist. What are you doing? I mean, good grief! Why don't you just give the kid another pill? Have you been down to see Doctor So and So? They say that he's the best pediatric psychiatrist in the world, and 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 blah 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 blah, and on and on and on. I mean, if you want to put it in a better context, have you been down to the temple to offer another sacrifice to your God? Have you done this? Have you done that? She understood something about the lordship of Jesus Christ, which in the environment in which she lived, I find it remar- amazingly remarkable. Amazingly remarkable. Well, we're going to take a short break here. And when we come back, we will definitely continue on with this. This is the Sword of the Spirit. And uh, this is Brother Joe Rusiella, And we'll be back right after this brief moment. were said in his defense no trial no witness called slaughtered without cause in a world that knows no shame he was given no rights no mercy and no name the place that God designed to be the safest on this earth tucked away inside our mother's Warmly cradled until birth Has become a place of torture In the name of freedom's choice He was murdered in his infant sleep A victim with no voice He needs a chance to be defended How long will we pretend that we don't see sad. It's harder to speak out. But Jesus loves that baby just as he loves you and me. She trembles at the clinic and her words turn into sobs. She really does love kids but has no husband and no job. She's out of luck and friends And she could use a decent meal How could she raise a baby? The nightmare seems unreal The nurse says, don't you worry, dear Now let me just explain This procedure is so simple And of course it's more humane Than bringing it into this world Poverty, And so the child is put to death It's the only choice she sees She needs the chance to see that someone cares How 
nine o'clock this morning, he delivers a baby boy. The proud, exhausted father grins. The mother weeps for joy. The doctor smiles and takes his leave with a full day's work to do. By sunset, he has saved one life, but also murdered two. Much harder to reach out, but you know Jesus loves that doctor just as He loves you and me. Jesus loves the helpless. We must speak in their. Welcome back to the Sword of the Spirit. This is Brother Joe Rusiello, and let's get right back into the study here. And we were saying that that this woman she understood something about the Lord about the lordship of Jesus Christ, which in the environment in which she lived, I mean, it was really amazing. It's it's amazing. Here's a woman that wasn't willing to just let just stay in the box to satisfy everyone else. She had a desperate, driving need to find a solution for the problem that her daughter had. She said, you know, I heard about this man, Jesus, and, and I'll tell you what, I, I don't care how much of an embarrassment I suffer. I don't care about how much ridicule I incur. I am willing to try anything if it will help my daughter. That's a good mother. That's a good mother. There's a lot to be said about a mother like that. Let's take a look at number four. Her admission was of a huge magnitude. Now just stop and think about that. Look at the end of verse 22. The end of verse 22 says, My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. I mean, wow. I mean, what mother would want to admit that? I mean, it's a whole lot more acceptable to say, you know, my kids got ADD right? Or some other malady. It's far more acceptable to suggest it's genetic, uh, physiological, or psychological. But a devil? Man, who wants to admit that? I wonder how many today, how many children and young people are diagnosed with a malady and given a pill when in reality, it could be devil trouble. Think about it. We surround ourselves with the devil's music, the devil's education, the devil's philosophy, the devil's movies, the devil's video games, the devil's literature, and then we say we'll solve it with a pill. Now, look, I'm not opposed to pills. You know, I'm not opposed to good legitimate medicine. Now, you know that. I hope you know that. You should know that. You know, but I think... Probably a great deal of our failure to recognize that the devil is real and incredibly influential is that we don't want to admit 
that just maybe, just maybe, there's a little devil problem lurking in the shadow somewhere. I mean, let's face it. Who wants to say, my kid's full of the devil? Who does? Who would? Now, the wording here is significant. And if you believe in cross-referencing your Bible, and I believe in it vigorously, the woman said, my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. She didn't necessarily say possessed. She said vexed. Now, scripture with scripture. Let's find out what this vexed means. Go with me to 2 Peter chapter 2, if you would. 2 Peter chapter 2. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 6. All right. My daughter is vexed with the devil. 2 Peter 2 verse 6. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly. So do you know why Sodom and Gomorrah burned? Well, to serve as an example. Verse 7. And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. So now why was Lot vexed? Well, he was vexed because of, env- of his environment. He was vexed because of his surroundings. He was vexed because of the people he trafficked with and associated with. They were the result of the vexation of his soul. All right, so do you see what this woman is saying? Scripture with scripture. She's saying, my daughter is vexed with the devil. Her associates, her environment, everything where she traffics speaks of the devil. And she's vexed with the devil. You can't raise your kids in a garbage can and expect them to smell like a rose. You can't. It's impossible. It just doesn't work. Not only does it defy good doctrine... But it defies common sense. This woman, this Canaanitish woman, had a common sense to know that there was a problem. You say, well, yeah, but why didn't she fix it? Why did the problem ever occur in the first place? Why was the problem ever allowed to develop in the home if she had that kind of sense? Well, I'm not sure that she always did, but you know what? My hat's off to her and that she finally came to terms with what the problem was. And the problem was a devil problem. Then she at least purposed in her heart to go to the right source to get it fixed. So the fifth thing that I notice in this text is that she ignored the insensitivity of the disciples and the insults of the Lord. Look with me in verse 23. And he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. Man, can you imagine that? I mean, do you know what they're saying? They're saying, We don't want this woman in our church. And how would that fly for political correctness today, right? I mean, if, if, if you, I mean, can you imagine if some woman showed up at your church? with her daughter next Sunday morning. And for a variety of reasons, you just perceived her to be different from the rest. I mean, she looked different. She acted different. 
She was from a different background, a different culture, a different situation. So the, the ushers meet her at the door and, and, and say, we don't want you here. Go away. Man, the ACLU would love that one, wouldn't they? We don't want you here. You say, no, no, no. We have to be more tolerant than that. We have to be more compassionate and loving and concerned and giving and sharing and caring and coping and every other word you can think of. That's not what the disciples did. Send her away. We don't want her. We don't like her. My goodness. Now look, as rude and as crude as I can be, even I'm not that bad. I'm more like, hey, yeah, you want to come to church? Come on in. Come on in. Come sit down. Front row. You know, it costs a little extra to sit there, but, you know, but front row. But you see, she ignored that. She ignored it. Let's read on. Verse 24. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So, wow. So the Lord suggested that he practiced segregation and she wasn't welcome. What other conclusion can you draw from that? I'm not here to minister to you. I'm here to minister to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Wow. Now, of course, doctrinally, that's just wall-to-wall, treetop-tall. That is a wonderful verse for you doctrinal buffs. Because at this point in Jesus' ministry, that's exactly who he sent to. He sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then you get over to Matthew 13, and there's this tremendous transition that starts to take place, and, and things kind of begin to change. But for right now, his ministry is to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But even though that's his primary principal ministry, Jesus is willing to make an exception. Why? Jesus is willing to make an exception for anyone that's seeking after him. Anyone. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. So the doctrinal statement is made, but it has practical impact. Woman, what do you want? It's like that. Now, honestly, tell me, ladies that, that are listening, ladies, which of you would have sustained these insensitivities and these insults to this point and not just finally left? You would have just said, well, if you don't want to speak to me, I don't want to speak to you. Well, if you don't like me, I don't have to like you. But you see, but you see this woman is a rare exception. And do you know why she's a rare exception? Because she loved her daughter a great deal. She knew in her heart of hearts that her desperation demanded that she look for any fix. Now, there are people in the audience that know that your kids are in trouble. You know they're in trouble. They're vexed with the devil, the devil's crowd, the devil's influence. How far will you go to keep them from the devil? This woman was willing to suffer any indignity, any insult, any insensitivity if it would help her daughter. Well, then I see in verse, verse 25, Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. You know, worship has a lot of flavors, a lot of pictures. 
and most of today's so-called worship, I can't find anywhere in the Bible. Most of it. Not all of it, but most of it. Here's the simplest act of worship. She worshipped him. Well, how did she worship him? She said, Lord, help me. And God defines that as worship. Sometimes the greatest adoration and worship you can extend towards the Lord Jesus Christ is just by saying, Lord, help me. Help me. Lord, help me. Her worship was centered around her recognition of who Jesus was and what his capabilities were. But then the ultimate insult was level at her. I mean, if we didn't have the whole story, you'd feel sorry for this woman. You would. You really would. Look at verse 26. But he answered and said, It is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. Now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to interpret the meaning of that verse. It's clear. Jesus is calling this woman a Gentile dog. Now, how many of you ladies listening would enjoy being called a dog? But the ultimate insult didn't drive her away. Let alone implying. And, and you know, I, I marvel at that. I really marvel at, at that in respect of this light. In my 20 plus years of being saved... I've seen folks get so incredibly offended and sensitive about things that are far less than being called a dog. I've seen folks generate hostility and animosity toward the message and the messenger when it's been implied in the gentlest of terms that they may be a sinner, a violator of God's commandments. I've seen folks get incensed when you suggest that baptism will not wash away their sins, even though we believe in baptism. We Baptists have been falsely accused over the centuries. It's often been said, often, often been said that, that Baptists believe you have to be baptized to go to heaven, when in reality, we're one of the few groups that don't believe that at all. Do you know what baptism will do for you? It'll get you wet. The Bible says that the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Yes, baptism is important, and that's why we practice it. It's an act of good conscience toward God, Peter says. It's an, it's an admission of your faith and trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it won't get you to heaven. I've seen folks get irate when you suggested them that their baptism wasn't their ticket to heaven. And I'm talking about some pretty benign stuff when you stop and think about it. Has anyone, I have never really honestly in my conscious memory ever point blank addressed anyone in a sermon as a dog. I heard a preacher preach a message once on, on dogs I have known, and he compared a variety of dogs to people. He talked about chihuahuas and bulldogs and a variety of things. And, you know, it was a fascinating message. It was a fun message. But I've never called anyone a dog. But Jesus did. He did. It couldn't be any plainer. 
It's not meet to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. Lady, you're a dog. I'm sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You're a dog. Whoa, man. Wow. At that point, 99 and 9 tenths percent of all womanhood would have turned around in a huff and went the other direction. But this woman had such a compelling, demanding drive and love for her daughter that she was willing to endure any insult if it would fix the devil problem. So let's see what she said. Verse 27. And she said, Truth, Lord. Huh? Oh, man. Man, she acknowledged her pedigree. She said, Truth, Lord. Everything you say or think about me is true. Now, how many today are in disagreement with God's estimation of their character? How many? This woman, man, if she isn't saved by now, she's a good candidate for it, isn't she? Because in reality, that's what you have to be to be saved. You have to say, truth, Lord. You're right. I'm wrong. Everything you say about me is correct. When Romans says, uh, my tongue is vile, my lips are cursed, and my mind and heart are depraved. Everything you say about me is right. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Truth, Lord. The wages of sin is death. All of sin and consure the glory of God. Truth, Lord. There is none righteous, no, not one. Truth, Lord. She didn't spend five seconds, not five seconds, arguing about anything. She didn't say, well, you know, my granddad was a circuit-riding Baptist preacher. No, no, she didn't. She didn't say, but you don't understand. My folks are very religious. My grandma read the Bible all the time. Grandpa was a prayer warrior. She didn't run out any of that junk. She said, truth. What a woman. What a woman. Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And right there, Right there, she had the Lord. Because the Lord knew that was truth. And all along, the Lord went there because he had compassion on her anyway. You know, the Lord has an uncanny way of of testing you from time to time. And that's exactly what he was doing with this woman. She acknowledged her depravity. And then I see over in verse 28, Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, Great is thy faith, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Faith was rewarded. The Lord's interested in rewarding faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, what produces faith? Well, Romans ten seventeen says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now, the word of God incarnate was standing in front of this woman. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word was manifest in the flesh. Amen? The living word of God was standing right smack dab in front of her. And so the word produced faith. And Jesus said, do you know what I'm going to do? He said, I'm going to reward your faith. This is great faith. And I'm going to reward it. It is impossible to please God without faith, Hebrews says. Now, 
Jesus isn't standing in front of me. So I guess I don't have the same opportunity to receive faith and be rewarded. Unless I understand that it's the word. Do you think you need faith? Do you think I need faith? Do you, do you think your faith needs to grow? Needs to develop? Needs to uh, become stronger? Needs to become more reliable? I would say so. Well, how am I going to get that faith? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There's the word. Let me read it. Let me assimilate it, digest it and study it and pray over it and use it and memorize it. There's the word. What will it do? It'll produce faith. It's the word that'll make the devil depart. Now, let me ask you something. Let me ask you something. Let's just fill a stadium with a bunch of young people anticipating a rock concert, okay? And there's 50,000 of them in there somewhere. And they're going to hear, you know, whatever the, the, the biggest depraved, you know, devil band of the day is, all right? So we got this stadium with 50,000 screaming young people anticipating this wild rock concert about to start. Then all of a sudden, over this giant speaker system that, that, are, that are placed all around this place so you can listen to this concert at about 200 decibels and blow your eardrums out. And by the way, you know, according to the Wall Street Journal I read some time ago, uh, and this is free, I'm just going to throw this in, one of the biggest investments that you can make in this day and age is in hearing aids. All right, that's a true statement. And the reason why is that people in America are going deaf younger and younger. And the reason for that is that they have plastered in their ears at 200 decibels blowing out their eardrums. That's why they're going deaf. So buy into hearing aids. All right, and by the time so by, by the time they're 40 they'll all be saying, "What? What?" So so we fill the stadium, right? We've got 50,000 screaming young people waiting to see, you know, whoever it is. And all of a sudden, we plug into that speaker system a calm, deep, dedicated voice that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. But do you think that that would change the demeanor of that whole thing? I do. In World War I, there was a U.S. Army chaplain that was, that was quite distressed as he periodically toured the barracks of the men and saw that they had these pinup pictures all over their lockers and walls of semi-nude women. And he preached vigorously against that kind of thing, and it seemed to have no effect at all. And then one day it dawned on him. He took what people would generally recognize as a picture of Jesus Christ. He didn't remove any of the other pictures. He just put that very large picture of Jesus with a crown of thorns on his head and the blood dripping down his face and an anguished look on his face uh, on the Son of Man as, as he took the sin of the world upon him. And he put it on the wall in the barracks. He made no comments, no statement. Then he noticed that one by one, all of the other pictures came down. You know, it's the word that makes the devil flee. Jesus defeated the devil on the Mount of Temptation with the word. Ladies and gentlemen, moms, 
the more you can get your kids in the word around the word the better they'll be the better they'll be equipped to not be vexed by the devil the word of god is what made the devil flee from this little girl you know thank god for good moms it's wonderful when mom cleans and cooks and bakes and cares and loves and does all the things that moms do the best mom in the world is the one that loves her child enough to get them surrounded by the word of God. That's the best mom in the world. And you should strive to be that kind of mom. Well, folks, we've come to the end of our time together today. And I just want to thank you so much for joining me on this very special Mother's Day episode of the Sword of the Spirit podcast. Uh, we will be having our regular Bible study, which will be available tomorrow across all, all of our uh, channels uh, at 11 a.m. Central Time. So I look forward to seeing you there. And until then, may God bless you, keep you, and have a great day. You've been listening to the Sword of the Spirit podcast with Brother Joe Rusiello. Feel free to email any questions or comments you may have to joe at ephesians 516.org. May God bless you and good day.